seen their week uh, to be with the students. And as you can see, they had a great week and made a huge impact, not just for that week, but eternally. And um, I just want to encourage you to find one of the students. They're pretty easy to spot here today because they're all wearing those blue shirts, except for Elliot, of course. Uh, but find one of them and yeah, yeah, he'll be easy to spot, kind of. Um, he's so, you know, he, anyway. Uh, <laughs> just to talk to him and ask him about their week, maybe uh, saw something in the video. Uh, I got to go over on Tuesday and uh, see the kids and see all the things they were doing and just uh, enjoy the heat with them. And so Jamie and I uh, kind of escaped to the gym where there were a couple tracks going on that the kids would pick and got to watch some of them play basketball and shoot around like that. And as we walk into the gym, we're... Uh, we see on the top there's a, a track uh, that you run on, and there are kids running, and Jamie and I both like, surely that's not kids from camp. But then we see Mr. Edwards just peeling off, and I mean, he was just, I don't know how many laps you did. You ran two miles. And when they stopped, when they stopped at a certain spot, they had to go do uh, body squats and mountain climbers and crunches and push-ups. Um, and... <laughs> That man, that that's a horrible track to pick. I don't know why you picked that one. I mean, he was putting in the work, um, but even worse, it was like 15 minutes right after lunch, and so part of the time, Jamie and I were just watching, hoping one of them was going to find a trash can and we we're going to witness them losing their lunch. That obviously, I guess Jet loved their food, very good. All right, um, but I mean, they were putting in the work, and 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 that's kind of our focus this morning is we're going to be looking at the kingdom's work, and um, I don't want you to panic. Um, if, if you're looking at the clock or anything like that, uh, I, I already talked to Jason uh, this week that, you know, you all take as much time as you want and, and I'll follow God's lead and how um, short a certain sermon will be. So it'll be like a mini sermon like they had at camp. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, looking in verses 1 through 3 as we're talking about uh, the kingdom's work. And the word of the Lord says, soon afterward he went on through the cities that he is Jesus proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And throughout the Gospels, what we have is, uh, if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus drew a crowd. Um, people wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see the miracles he would do to show that the power of God was in him and of him. And so everywhere Jesus went, crowds began to gather, and people wanted to follow him, just be in his presence and, and to hear from him. But Jesus does something very strange every time he begins amassing a crowd as we come here to Luke chapter 8, is he leaves. And he goes to another city or he goes to another region. And, and it was counterculture in his day, uh, just as much as it would be in ours. If a pastor planted a church and that church began to explode with people gathering, you would think the pastor would just dig in the roots and he would stay and continue to grow that church. Well, Jesus doesn't work that way. And I'm not saying that's wrong for a pastor to stay. I think pastors should have a longevity at church. You get to know the people and the people can begin to trust them and begin doing new ministries and things like that. But Jesus moved on. And the reason he did that, he did it with a purpose, because he came to preach the gospel of repentance, and he came to preach the kingdom of God in all the region, and all the cities, and all the villages, so all people would have an opportunity to hear the message that he was presenting. We could consider it the Jesus tour when we look through the gospels, as he is constantly on the move. 
And in verse 1, we're told that he is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So he moves with purpose. He moved with intention. That word proclaiming could also be read as preaching. So he went preaching, and the word bringing is read as telling and announcing. And so they basically mean the same thing of Jesus delivering the gospel and the message of the kingdom of God. And that's what we are called to do as God's people. To imitate Christ, we are to bring the gospel. We are to tell people about the gospel. We are to announce it, proclaim it, preach it. The good news of Jesus Christ. And what this verse tells me as Jesus moves around is that kingdom work is ongoing. Jesus did this throughout his entire ministry. Even after his resurrection for the 40 days when eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Christ, he continued to move around. And sometimes he would just show up in a room and then he'd be gone. He was constantly on the move, constantly proclaiming the good news, and constantly telling people about the kingdom of God. When he ascended into heaven, he then delivered what we call the Great Commission. It's actually a commandment to his followers, disciples. So if you call yourself a Christian, then you are a disciple of Christ. You are a follower of Christ, and he has commanded us to do as he did and to go around and, and to tell the good news, proclaim the good news. We look into the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the other disciples They began preaching the first gospel message, and we're told that 3,000 souls came to Christ that day. But if you read on in the book of Acts, you see that they didn't stop. They weren't satisfied with just 3,000 souls coming to Christ, 3,000 salvations. They continued to be on the move. You look at the life of Paul. Paul goes out on his first missionary trips. He sees converts. He begins planting churches. But he didn't stop at that success. He went out on a second mission trip and a third mission trip to go and build up the churches, to go build new churches, to see new people come to Christ. Because the kingdom work is ongoing. It will never stop. God is never going to stop using you until Jesus Christ comes and takes you to your eternal home. It doesn't matter what age you are. You do not retire from the kingdom work. It doesn't matter how young you are. God has equipped you for kingdom work. You know, we we look at kids and we say, oh, we take them to camp, we do vacation Bible schools and things like that. Do you know what kids do? Kids attract other kids. Kids attract parents who have kids because they want their kids to be with kids. They want their kids to have friends in a good environment, a safe environment. And, And so our kids are like magnets to young families. You think it's you? No, it's the kids. It's the people in the nursery where parents know that they can have their kids safe. People are drawn to that. The kingdom of God here in verse 1 refers to God's rule over all his creation. It's his divine purpose, which he has set in place since the beginning of time. It's to speak of his sovereignty. That's what we talk about when we talk about God's rule over all things. That's the sovereignty of God, and his divine purpose is the eternal plan of salvation. What this means is the kingdom of God is always at hand. And one day it's going to come to full fruition when Jesus Christ returns and takes those who have called upon him as their Savior home. This is what we are to continuously preach. God is God over all things, but there is a problem. We can't just tell people that God is God over all things. We have to let people know that there is a problem. There is a reason for the sacrifice. There is a reason for the forgiveness. There is a reason for the obedience because we all have a sin problem. All of us are corrupted with sin. All of us wrestle with sin. 
Even though we want to be obedient, there's times we stumble and fall into temptation, which means we sin. But in that, I, that understanding that God is God over all things and we have a sin thing, there's the good news, which we call the gospel, is that the sin issue has been dealt with through Jesus Christ alone because that was God's plan. And all people, all people can be saved from the penalty of sin and the penalty of sin is eternal separation from the God who loves you in a place the Bible defines as hell. But all people can be forgiven from that penalty when they find forgiveness in Christ alone. So you may be here today and you need to accept that gift that some of our students have talked about. Accept that gift of forgiveness, that gift of salvation. And I'm going to share that with you, how to do that in a moment. But this is why we do church. This is why we gather every single Sunday. It's not because, well, Sunday's the day you go to church. It's because the kingdom is at work and we want to be a part of the kingdom. This is why we gather when we do Wednesday night lights and we Wednesday night live and we gear up for that every single year. It's not to say we have something on the calendar because we're a part of the kingdom work and it is ongoing. This is why we're going to start Wednesday night in the park this week because the kingdom is at work and we want to announce and proclaim and bring people to the good news. This is why we do vacation Bible school. This is why we have student ministry. This is why we send our students to camp and our kids to camp, because God's kingdom is always at work. This means we're going to get tired. Kingdom work is tiring. Sometimes people get burned out of kingdom work. Pastors get burned out. Pastors walk away from the ministry because they get tired. They get worn out. Well, let me give you a piece of advice. Be like Jesus. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. Take a nap. Relax. The Lord commands a Sabbath. He commanded us to rest, to take a Sabbath, to break away. You look in the Gospels and you see Jesus, he wasn't always around people. People always wanted to be around him, but Jesus made a point to get away from people. He made a point to get by himself and to be with the Father on his own because kingdom work is tiring. It'll wear you down. But the beauty about the kingdom work is God has given us his word to refill us and to build us back up. So every day as God's people, we need to be in his word. We need to allow God to speak to our hearts and refresh us and revive us and to build us back up so we can be ongoing with what he is doing. And notice here in verse 1, Jesus isn't alone. It also goes into verse 2. The 12 is referring to the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. And we're also told in verse 2 that there were also some women. But verse 1 is making a point here that Jesus at this point in time in ministry is the primary teacher. Now he's going to unleash the 12 several times throughout his ministry to go out and do kingdom work. But it's an important lesson because what it teaches us, we work together for the kingdom. We work together for the kingdom. A lot of times people think of church and they think about the pastor. And usually you think about the pastor because, you know, the pastor stands up on a platform or he has a podium and he's there for, you know, 30, 40, 50, on occasion 60 minutes. And I apologize for if you were in children's church on those Sundays. But, uh, you know, but sometimes we just think of the pastor when we think of the church. But you understand that ears and hearts are being prepared before I even come up to a podium or for a pastor just behind a podium. You understand that God is preparing hearts and minds before the welcome begins, before a worship song begins. Hearts, minds, souls, and hearts are being ready and being prepared for what God wants to do as soon as you walk through the door. 
And this is how you do it. This is how you're a part and how we work together. Because it's not about the pastor. You see someone, you go and shake their hand. You give them a smile and you ask how they're doing. And you actually mean it. You're not wanting them to say okay or good. You really want to be involved in their life and make sure they're okay. We pray with one another. We give each other hugs when we gather, and that's before a song even plays, and you're preparing the hearts of people. When visitors show up, I love how when visitors show up, you cannot get in and out of these doors without being mobbed by people. And if you can, I want to apologize. But you prepare the hearts. And then afterwards, when we say amen, we continue to be a part of the kingdom work as people begin to clump up, and they fellowship, and they give hugs, and they laugh, and they share their story and their week. Do you know the Bible says that we can only function properly as a church, as the body of Christ, if every member of the body is functioning in it? If every member of the body is functioning in the church, that means we are a healthy church. And the Bible reveals there's not one part that is more significant than the other. There might be some parts that are more visible, but not more significant. Just think about this for a second. Those who are working right now, those who are ministering in the nursery, for some of us, they're not going to be seen. We're not going to know who they are, but they're back there. They're, they're ministering not just to those kids in the nursery, but they're ministering to the parents, knowing that you can sit here knowing your child is safe and being watched over. Those who are working and ministering in children's church are doing so so those kids can hear the gospel on their level. But you may not know who's back there. There are individuals in this room, there are individuals in the foyer, are a part of a security team to make sure that we are safe as we gather to worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you don't know they're there. Unless you sneak out to go to the bathroom, you might see them, but don't go to the bathroom right now. But there's people in here. There may be parts that are more visible, but there are parts that there aren't parts that are more significant. Verses 1 through 3 give us this beautiful image of God's people working together. Each disciple of the twelve played a role in this group. Most of us know about Peter. Peter is obviously the oldest of the disciples, the only one he had to pay taxes, the only one Jesus pointed out to pay taxes. He's obviously the most outspoken in the group. He speaks up the most in all the Gospels, and sometimes he doesn't say it right. Right? Some of us can relate to Peter in that way. Sometimes we have an idea and a thought, and before we allow it to be filtered, it just slips on out. We know that Judas, even though he betrayed Christ, he took care of the finances, but he had sticky fingers. Andrew was a behind-the-scenes type of disciple. He had a servant heart. He was the one, the brother of Peter, who brought Peter to Christ initially. James the Lesser, which also we probably refers to being the youngest of all disciples, played a role within the group because it didn't matter about the age. He was still used. James, one of the sons of thunder, was a little bit more outspoken, but he was willing to leave his father's job, his father's business. He was willing to leave behind earthly possessions to be with Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector, probably should have been in charge of the finances, but he was a very detailed individual. He was able to see the prophecies being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Philip appears to be a guy that people who are on the outside of the group, people felt they could relate to Philip, so they would go to Philip and say, hey, Philip, can you get us to Jesus? And that's what Philip would do. Simon the Zealot was passionate for his nation. He was passionate for his people. Nathaniel, he was a pessimist. And yet he understood the word of God. And then there's Thomas, so we know it's doubting Thomas because of one mistake. 
He's obviously interested in the details. They all work together. Jesus was in charge. He was a central figure, and that's the same as it goes today. We all work together to proclaim Jesus, to lift him up. We work together for the kingdom to promote Jesus and have the good news of Jesus expanded throughout this city and throughout the area. Disciples, they didn't have it all together. That's not why Jesus called them to the kingdom work. They were going to learn and they were going to grow. But Jesus took all of their flaws, just as he wants to take all of ours, and fused it with power so that God might be glorified, which tells us we are all called to the kingdom's work. There were 12 with him and also some women. Here's an interesting note if we ever do Bible trivia. Luke is the only gospel that points out women by name following Jesus as a part of Jesus' entourage. These women are mentioned in some of the other gospels, but never in this sort of context. Women, though, were in all phases of Jesus' ministry. Women were with him when he preached, when he did miracles. They were with him when he was at, on the cross. They were the first ones to go to the empty tomb. They were with Jesus after the 40 days after his resurrection. What's also interesting is none of the four Gospels ever depict women as being opposed or against Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Pilate's wife, Pilate was the one that had to give the word for Jesus Christ to be crucified. His own wife said, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. There's probably a Mother's Day message in there, and I know this is Father's Day. Here's the thing. Women in the Gospels always supported Jesus. Men were the problem. No amen from women? Come on. Women always supported Jesus, and Luke is bringing this out. So let's just see how we are called to be used here. Let's look at these three women. Susanna. Susanna is the only one that we don't know anything about, which is fine. Because some people work behind the scenes, and they do things that no one knows anything about. Being called doesn't mean that you have to have a stage or a platform. Being called means you have to be faithful. Then there's Joanna, whom Luke tells us is the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Joanna's husband most likely controlled the finances or looked over the finances in Herod's house. This is the same Herod who at this point in time has John the Baptist in his prison and brings him out as like a court jester. Eventually he's going to have him executed. So Joanna comes from this place of means, but also a place in a house of hostility towards God's plan. Something chooses the official that is mentioned in John chapter 4 who comes to Jesus and asks him to come and heal his son who had a sickness or an infirmity, which may have been the reason that Susanna started following Jesus after she saw this incredible miracle. Then we have Mary of Magdalene. She's called Magdalene because she comes from a city called Magdal. But Luke also provides a little more information. She had seven demons that had gone out of her. It's to speak of the gravity of her past situation. So here's what we have with the 12 and the women. We have an unknown in Susanna. We have a well-off in Joanna. We have a greatly healed in Mary. And we have 12 who didn't have it all together. Yet God called them all to be a part of the kingdom's work. What's so extraordinary about mentioning the women is that Jewish rabbis did have women that would work in the house and the synagogue, but they would be demeaning jobs for them. We find Jesus here, including women in the work, because all are called. 
And finally, notice what the women were doing at the end of verse 3. They were providing for them, them as speaking of Jesus and the disciples, out of their means. What that means is they were giving out of their private possessions. They were giving out of the resources they had to provide for the kingdom work. What it teaches us is we are to use the resources we have for the kingdom. Whether we have a lot of resources, here's the thing. We all have bodies, right? We all have bodies. We all have some talents. We all have some gifts which are to be used. And if you're a child of God, God has infused you and empowered you with his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts which are to be used. But one of your greatest resources, one of our greatest resources isn't money. It's not. It's time. It's time. Being willing to sacrifice our time for the kingdom. That's where our four adults did this last weekend. Most of us can make money for the money we give to the kingdom work. But here's something you can't make up. You cannot make up the time You cannot replace the time. One of your greatest resources is your time and your presence. To be present with someone. This may be in the nursery. It may be in children's church or student ministry. It may just be willing to sit by someone and listen. You may not be called to be a preacher, but maybe you can cook something amazing or bake something incredible and give that to a family or an individual who is hurting to let them know that you care. You may not be called to go into international mission field or to the national mission field, but you're an individual who can give a great hug. You can give a warm smile. You can make someone feel important and loved just by being present with them. You may not be called to be a worship leader. You may not have a musical bone in your entire body. But you can sit with a child who may need a little extra attention because they struggle staying still. You may not be a crafty person. But you may have a testimony that someone here needs to hear. You may have a word that someone needs to take away. I think we sometimes think that to be used by God, it has to be in some extravagant manner. But when we are used by God, here's what it is. God makes it extravagant because it has an eternal purpose. God has brought all of us here because all of us have a vital role to play in what he's wanting to do. And all of us have resources of our own that God wants to use. It might be financially But it might just be a warm smile. It might just be a hug or a handshake. Sometimes our greatest resources we can use, though, is is our presence. And be willing to give up our time for another individual to let them know we care about them. They're important. And we're here if they need somebody. God used his greatest resource for us all. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life which we could not. And Jesus Christ lived that life so that he could die on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
But he didn't stay dead. The Bible says that he rose three days later from that grave to show that he has the power of the de- over death and the ability to forgive all of the sins of the world. And the Bible says that if we believe that in our heart, that God would love me that much and love you that much, and we believe that to be true, then we confess to God that we are a sinner in need of his forgiveness and we need Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. The Bible says when we confess that, that means to make publicly known, to, to say it audibly. When we do that, the Bible says we are completely forgiven because of the perfect atoning sacrifice of Christ, and we have been given eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've yet to receive God's forgiveness for your sins, I'm going to be standing down here and I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved, I need to be forgiven and pray with you, talk with you, celebrate with you. The Bible says that when one person comes to Christ, the heavens erupt. And I guarantee you, there won't be a person in this room who won't be excited for you. But maybe you're here and you've been here for a while and you're not allowing God to use you. Praise the Lord, God did not call you here to fill a seat. Praise the Lord for that. He wants to use you in a great and mighty way for his eternal purpose. I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And if you need to come down, this is time of invitation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and accepting us, forgiving us, and claiming us as your own. Thank you for allowing us to know you and to be known by you, that you are our God and we are your people. And Father, in this time, this place, I praise you that you know every heart in this room. You know every soul. You know who belongs to you and who doesn't. And Father, I pray that your spirit would bring those individuals to conviction and repentance and ultimately salvation. That they would come down and confess you as their Lord and Savior and their need for forgiveness. And Father, their eternal destiny would be changed today. Well, I think for the people that are involved and are doing ministry, sometimes it's when no one else knows and no one else sees, but Lord, they're just faithful. I pray that you continue to build us up as your body and your, your bride. That as a church, we would continue to glorify you and bring you praise. Let us continue to be focused on your kingdom. For we pray that it would be your kingdom and will be done. Forgive us we failed you in any way. We praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.